Welcome back to another episode. We are, Chris and I, when we first started this podcast, we put together a list of people that we wanted to speak to, and we've been very fortunate to get majority of the people that we, we wanted to speak to. And uh, with the NBA finals around the corner, we felt like, and me in particular, getting our next guest on was of utmost importance just because of his background. He is a writer for Bleacher Report. He works for The Athletic. He was the former video coordinator of not only the San Antonio Spurs and the Los Angeles Clippers, but he worked with our very own Australian Burmers under the Brett Brown regime. He's a good mate of mine. We're very happy to have him on board. Mo, welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast. Oh, I, I has been video coordinator. I'm happy to be on. <laughs> <laughs> mate, we are in the middle of the NBA playoffs as we are... Uh, Going through it right now, we've just seen game two of the Warriors and the Lakers. It seems like the logical starting point. We're looking at two of the greatest players of all time going head-to-head. Uh, the first time that the Lakers and the Warriors have been going head-to-head in the playoffs since 91. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. It's been that long. I mean, it's... it's... I mean, shit, it was a long time ago. I don't remember. 91's a long time ago. It was a very long time ago. But talk about what you saw adjustment-wise from the Warriors from game one to game two. I think the most obvious adjustment, and I think this is the thing that uh, catches everybody's eye, and, and this is the thing Warriors fans complain the most about Steve Kerr a lot, was, you know, in game one, they didn't run that m- much Steph Curry pick and roll actions in this game they literally went to it all game long and they got great stuff out of it didn't matter what the Lakers coverage was on it if they blitzed the pick and roll if it was ice whatever Curry would just dump it down to Draymond it's four on three from there the Lakers are not a very good defensive team to begin with and there then you have guys like Clay cooking they had a big night from Jamichael Green hitting shots I think you have a uh, uh, pretty good outlook on a lot of things there and I think it all started for the Warriors just with hey let's stop with the Curry off ball stuff and let's just run the pick and roll the Warriors is one thing and this is my belief this series was always going to come down to Anthony Davis and he was shit tonight he was terrible Is there a more frustrating player than Anthony Davis, in your opinion? Because for me, there's not. Because there's someone as talented as what he is that can have the 30 and 23 game in game one, can just go missing like that. I find as a a teammate and as a coach, there'd be nothing more frustrating than someone that could do that, followed by the poor performance that we saw tonight. Yeah, but you know, if you followed him just throughout this whole playoffs, that's kind of what he's done. Great game, one game. Bad game the next. You could almost bank on it. And I'll probably bet on game three being pretty good for for Anthony Davis. I think this wasn't entirely on him. He did look a little bit, I think, tentative, a little bit indecisive. But I didn't feel like the Lakers did a great job of getting him stuff on the move. And I think that's kind of what made a difference in game one was the opportunities that he got where everything was kind of actions off the move, cross screens, things like that, opening up opportunities for him. Instead, it was kind of just, I noticed a lot, like he was floating on the perimeter a lot. And if I'm the Warriors defense, I'm like, yes, please hang out there. You know, that's where I want you versus, you know, uh, trying to dominate in the paint. And 
the big thing in game one was, you know, he really killed on the offensive glass. Tonight, he only had one offensive rebound. I think that was kind of a, a very telling sign. The round one of the playoffs, I felt like a lot of the teams that came out on top was because of coaching uh, decisions and the way that the coach was uh, handled the situations. I didn't see a lot of change from Darvin Ham from game one, game two, and and Steve Kerr. Obviously, the game could have been totally different if Looney was healthy and they they tried to go back to the well, but they might have found something in Jermichael Green in this in this game of being that stretch perimeter big that took Anthony Davis out of the game. How would you rate Darvin Ham's performance as coach in uh, game two? Yeah, it's always hard. Like when you, after you come off of a win, how much do you adjust into game two, and and whatnot? I think they weren't as prepared. I would feel like for the Steph Curry pick and roll, but I, we also just got to say this part. And this is, you know, I was trading tweets with somebody on Twitter, and they're shocked that nobody figured out the Curry Draymond pick and roll over the past ten years. I'm like, well, shit. Have you? Like nobody. Like there's nobody. The greater minds have been at on this one and it's an impossible one to figure out and and i think the big thing the name you mentioned jamichael green had a big night you know six and nine from the field three of six from three i want to see if he could do that again because i always say this about jamichael green and, and might be slightly mean but that should shock nobody who knows me um you know the idea of jamichael green is always much better than the reality and this is one of those games where we got to see what the what the idea looks like can really stretch the floor, can play well, knock down the three ball. Let's see if he's consistent enough and can do it in game three because that's the reason why he's on several teams over his course of career. It's it's just he doesn't do it consistently. So can he repeat that performance in game three? And, you know, as the Lakers are probably still going to leave him open. And I think that's going to be the thing that we'll have to figure out, you know, as we watch that one. Did you just really give us the Dylan Brooks to Rui Hachimura Let's just see if he can do it again. Speech. Did you just do a copy and no, paste? No, I, I, oh. I, I, I. It was Desmond Bain. First off, I Sorry, would never yeah. quote Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Don't you put that on me. I would never quote him. Dylan uh, Desmond Bain, sure, but like, but that's a fair thing, right? I think consistency is the most is the hardest thing for play. You know it. You see it all it's the, the time. The difference between players. good and great is consistency. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, like. The numbers of teams, like I saw Jamichael Green when he was with the Clippers, and when he came to the Clippers, it was, oh, this is the stretch big we've been looking for. Never panned out. He went to Denver. Oh, this is going to be perfect for play with Jokic. You spread the floor out, keep Jokic open. Yeah, he never panned out. Ends up going to the Warriors. Didn't do much this season. Like, you know, he shot it all right. His percentage is pretty good. I think it's around 36 37%, which is nice, especially for a stretch big. But it's not consistent. It's not something I could feel like I could bank on him making three threes each time he's on the floor. We spoke about Darvin Ham before, which I think would lead us to the big news of this morning being Coach Bud being released by Milwaukee. A, your reaction to him being fired, and B, I think a lot has been said about the relationship that Darvin Ham had on that coaching staff prior to uh, departing Milwaukee. So thoughts on Coach Bud being fired and thoughts on Darvin Ham and his relationship that he had with that Milwaukee group. Yeah, I think the uh, 
First off, it should be no shocking that Bud got fired. I think the the way that series went out and played out and, and how that thing ended, uh, we're all expecting it. I don't know how you could kind of walk into the locker room in the next season with that on him. And, and sometimes, you know, you guys know it. You guys have been through it. Like a coach's voice goes stale in five years. They've won a championship. They've had some real bad playoff runs in between there. They've had some deep ones and then some ones that where they flame out. So I'm not surprised by that one. Uh, with that said, when it comes to Darvin Ham, like, yeah, I, he's got tight, close ties. I just, I don't feel like it's a returns in, you know, imminent or anything like that for him. I think it'll be interesting to see how this kind of, who he, if he poaches anybody from the staff now or anything like that for the Lakers staff and how that stuff goes forward. But I don't see any change for the Lakers in terms of him going elsewhere. With that being said, who is the most likely candidate? I know, like, if I'm Ima Yudoka, you might have been like, fuck, I wish I would have held off. Uh, if I'm Quinn Snyder going to Atlanta, I might have been like, oh, if I just held out, I could have had that. I think Nick Nurse is the number one spoken voice. I don't think that he necessarily should be the next coach of Milwaukee. Uh, Chris, you might have some thoughts on who possibly could fill that void going? Well, it, well, it's interesting. I, I heard that Steve Nash's name was on a very short list as well, which surprised me to some extent. That 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 is a surprising one. I, I, one, I just don't know why Nash would go through it again. He's living a great life, man. Like, just go chill, man. Like, when he took the job in Brooklyn, I was like, what are you doing, dude? Go just keep broadcasting soccer UEFA championships have fun like what the why are you trying to deal with this stress um with all of that but that'd be an interesting one I don't know if he'd be a great fit I don't like the nurse name floating around I you're, think you're a Nick nurse I'm not, hater, oh massively and I've been it for a while I I honestly think I've I own I bought the car own it and I'm driving the, the driving it and everybody's jumping on the wagon Okay, because I've been pushing this for a while. I think he's quite overrated. But this team has a defensive identity already. I don't think they need a defensive-minded coach, and that's what I would think Nick Nurse is more. Like, they need somebody that can kind of help them in the half-court offense. Because let's be honest, man, their half-court offense has been really rough over the past few years. And it's not an easy one to build around with Giannis. But I think it's needs more creativity. And I think that's something that Nick Nurse won't bring to the table. I won't be surprised if they actually look in-house and go with Charles Lee, who is Bud's top assistant. He's interviewing for a couple of head jobs. This would be a first-time head coaching position for him. But I'm, I'm not so worried about it when it's within an organization he's been with for a while and he has the institutional knowledge that you would need. We've already spoken about the Lakers-Warriors. We'll go to the other game in the West, which is Denver and Phoenix. The one thing that I've noticed about that series so far is, A, the depth of... Denver's bench versus the depth of Phoenix and two, Denver just run their stuff a lot more cleaner and a, and a good game pace versus what Phoenix does what have been your takeaways from the this uh, the matchup so far well I think the most obvious thing is continuity right like this is this is a Denver team that's been together for a while you know injuries have hampered them the past few years we always shit on Jokic's playoff record and everything like that. And we just never really want to talk about the fact that his number two guy has been out for the past two seasons. 
and we we we, we want to always hold that against him. And it's like, all right, cool. Let's take Clay Thompson off the the Warriors and see how Curry does, you know, in in the playoffs over the past few years and, and things like that. But now they're healthy, but they all know how to play with each other. They all kind of have a good rhythm with each other and understanding. Whereas, I mean, you said the Suns bench. I don't even see a bench. Like the guys they're bringing off the bench, like I. I feel confident I can get five minutes in that rotation. I wouldn't do, I do just as poorly as those guys on the court in that sense. Um, you know, like it's, it's sad in that CP got hurt in game two. Cause I felt like is it there was sad a, or is it expected at this point. But can it be both? No, we don't. No, but, 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 can also, but can that also help things? Can that put the ball in Devin Booker's hands more often? And create a more explosive type, of t- a more up tempo team. Denver managed Chris Paul really well in that mid pick and roll, pretty well. Yeah, you know, he, Chris, I, I hear you on that. I just think we're putting too much on Devin Booker's plate already. Like, here's the thing if I'm Denver right now going into game three and I'm just looking up and down the roster of the Suns, all right, Kevin Durant can hurt us, obviously. Devin Booker can hurt us, obviously. Aiden, maybe. You're an Aiden hater as well, right? Oh, massively. And then the um, and then after that, it's it's who? Like, who are are we really afraid of Tory Craig? Are we really afraid of Josh Akogi? Um, uh, Landry Shamit? Like, if I'm thinking defensively, I'm like, guys, we kind of been handed a gift. We can defend their two best guys with all five of our guys and just live with what the other guys do because I don't think they'll keep up with us offensively. And I think that's the challenge, you know, can in other games, games one and two, I thought, okay, KD and Devin have to kind of combine for like around 60 points. And, and, and that might be able, they might be able to make the rest work. Now I'm looking at it going like, they might have to get like 75 combined. And that's brutal, man. And, and, and it's tough, but I, the one thing that's going in their favor is they've had like four days off before the next game. Like it's a ridiculous schedule. This it, for me, they got to get game three. If the Suns are going to make this a series, they have to get game three. And you know, just to, as you were saying, Chris, you know, it's going to be a lot more. The ball's in Devin Booker's hands and things like that. I just worry that he will get tired out. Just while we're, we're still on Denver, and you've touched on Milwaukee for me, and we, we chatted about this in a little bit of depth last podcast. I think that Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo were the best two players in the NBA this season. I think Joel Embiid was a clear third. The fact that he won the most valuable player and was awarded that since we last spoke, um, almost awarded historically based on the fact he's come second his last two, it just feels to me that the NBA voters almost chickened out and didn't want to put Giannis or Jokic into that historical greatness conversation and was the safest thing to do historically to award it to Embiid. Is that how you see it or are we way off here? I don't necessarily say you're way off. I would say, one, I think any of those three that whoever won it deserved it. I think even Embiid, I, I can make a case for all three guys, in, in, in whoever I wanted to, any day. You know, just throw a name and I'd tell you the case. And then I think that's, that's how I'd move on. But I think you're right in that there was a push with, especially Jokic, we can't let Jokic be the three-time MVP and he's never gone to a finals and this and that. And this is, 
can't be up there with Larry Bird and, and the legendary and three in a row. Like, come on, guys. Like, this was genuinely what was one of the negatives for voting for Jokic, which is purely bullshit. This is a regular season award. If the guy was the best in the regular season, then he's the MVP. And you move and you have to move on from it. And that's kind of, you know, okay, well, he's up there with Larry Bird. Great. Whatever. And and I think but I think you're right in that some of the writers got very nervous about that. In that very concerned with the idea of like the legacy side of it. And I think sometimes listen, I'm a writer too, and I talk with them too. Sometimes we get full of ourselves and oh, we're such important pieces to the game and that side of stuff. And I think that's kind of what what happened in that sense. I don't if Jokic won the MVP deserved if Giannis won it I would have felt deserved Embiid won it instead I feel like it was deserved all three of those guys deserved it so for me it's the right choice and it was the right choice if it was Jokic would be the right choice if it was Giannis that might be a chicken shit answer but I don't have a vote so I don't have to stress about it on a nightly basis but that's just the way I looked at it um before we move on I'd just like to point out you brought up the name Landry Shamit uh who for me is in the all Tristan Thompson team of people who have done jack shit in the last couple of years, but still find themselves on an NBA roster. Uh, oh, I thought I thought you were going a different route from what we know of Tristan's past, yeah. so I was concerned. No, no. And, and, <laughs> and possibly, I don't know, and Tory Craig, by the way, is an honorary Aussie after his time in the NBL and an ex-teammate of mine, so I'll never talk bad about Tory Craig. Um, before we move on, last thing in the West, I feel like we have to touch on the Memphis Grizzlies. And, and the way that the, this season has panned out to them. Have you ever seen a team distance themselves from a player as quickly as what Memphis has with Dylan Brooks? And can we solely place this whole off-season drama already solely on one player when quite clearly they had multiple problems throughout the season? So it's funny. We've seen players get in trouble with the law and teams stay tied to them longer than as quickly as the opposite of the, the I felt like they told him on the plane, you're not coming back. Enjoy your last plane ride with Memphis is really what it kind of felt like in that instance. Uh, there's conflicting reports about where the, the reporting came from or whatever and things like that. But I think the ultimate thing with first, just looking at the Dylan Brooks situation, he wasn't good for the team. At the end of the day, like, he's just a guy who t- talked a massive amount of shit and never really backed it up. He wanted to be more of an offensive player, and he's about as bad a shooter as I am. And I think that's the stuff you're watching with, like, that's a – and would take shots that you're like, what are you doing? There are games where he had he, more, most shots of everybody on the team, and you're like, you're shooting them out of these games in these instances. Um and it's, it's, he's a good defender. I don't think he's great, but he's a good defender. And for all the shit he talked about, like how he's LeBron's old, all of that stuff after game two, he didn't guard him that much. They had Xavier Tillman on him for most of it. And on that, that possession where LeBron tied it on that beautiful layup, it was Brooks's Brooks's rotation. And he just, he just showed and then went back to Reeves. And LeBron gets a, a beautiful layup that he finishes over Jaron Jackson, who's rotating over on the weak side. It's just like, these are the things you're looking at going like, man, is he really worth the trouble? 
getting ejected in game three for hitting LeBron in the balls, and I thought it was intentional. You guys tell me. I've never seen anybody use a backhand punch to reach for a ball, um, you know, and, and it was just one of those things. Now, as an organization, they have a lot of problems. I think they're sloppy. I don't think they're – I think they enable their guys too much, and I think they need to start putting a couple of – big brothers in the front office on the coaching staff that can actually start talking to these guys in a way. Um, you know, I, I had said to a friend of mine today, Sam Cassell would be perfect on that bench as an assistant coach. Somebody that could yell at Ja and call him on his bullshit. They don't have that right now. And I think that's something that they really need. They, they do suffer from being a small market team. Of course, the last thing a small market team wants to do is to lose a John man. So it's, probably fair to say it's more difficult for them to approach a superstar like Jar in the manner that a New York Knicks or Los Angeles Lakers could because yep. you know that Jar's people will be telling him he needs a big market. Yeah, and I think part of it is now, I don't think you need a big market anymore. Just the way the world is. Jar has a signature shoe with Nike. Um, but, uh, he, had, he had signed a deal with Powerade to be their spokesperson. You know, and the way he's the face of the NBA at this point is he's probably one of our best American NBA players. Like if you look at the thing about the MVP voting, the top three guys in vote getters, all European or and and and, and, and beat who's, who's played college ball in Kansas, but comes from Cameroon. Like they're all international players in that sense. And I think it's one of those things you're looking at it going like, hey, like who are our best American players? Shaw's one of them, and I don't think he – I'm not as worried about it, but you're right in that Memphis can't approach it the way the Lakers would or whatnot. But they can't do it this way either, and it just enable him and allow him to kind of run into the troubles that he's run into and things like that, letting his team kind of run through things. I mean, I the, the whole – his dad, T. Morant, on the sideline during the course of games all the time <laughs> – talking shit and stuff like that's fun and bravado and stuff until it turns into a situation like it did in LA with him and Shannon Sharp, which both of them were acting like jackasses. And you know, it's, it's, you're in that instance. And those are things like, you don't see that. And, and, and I just think those are the things that they got to start cleaning up as an organization. Cause if you want to win a championship, you guys have been through it. You don't want to have any distractions. You don't need that unnecessary shit. And I think they need to start filtering that stuff out. Uh, Chris and I like to talk shit to each other during the playoffs. That was part of the fun for us, um, which is which is a story for another day. But Chris and I have got some great stories during our playoff runs against. I want to come back to that podcast. I want to be there for we'll, that. We'll podcast. send it to you. We'll definitely send it to you. Uh, <laughs> hey, I know where they wants to where they wants to move on to the, to the east, but and I reckon the easiest transition into the east is I watched a lot of New York Knicks games at Madison Square Garden early on this season. And I've got a soft spot for them through my relationship with Leon Rose. Mm. I didn't see what they're doing happening. I thought they were a playing team at best. The transformation that team's made to be tied in a conference semifinal series and realistically to still have a chance to beat Miami, I think. Talk, talk to me about it. Give me a non-biased opinion on how you've seen the Knicks' improvement this year. I got to give a lot of credit to Tibbs, and that's a tough one for me because another coach I've shit on. Man, I've really been mean to people. Um, a, another coach that I was, yeah, I've gone at. But, like, he's done something that I didn't think Tibbs was capable of, and that was playing the young guys. He kind of just shifted away from not playing Derrick Rose, Evan Fournier, 
and so on, and then really kind of full on went into, all right, Obi Toppin's our backup power forward for Julius Randle. Emmanuel quickly is coming in off the bench. Guys like Quentin Grimes is getting minutes and making things happen for them in those opportunities. And then the trade that they made for Josh Hart was huge. It's a massive trade for them in the, the toughness that he brings. And he's just a, a fucking just a good team guy. And, he, and he's going to battle, and he's going to be great in the locker room. He's a perfect Tibbs kind of guy. Everything that they have going for them right now, it starts with the fact that they really did kind of just decide, we're going with these young guys. And the young guys have paid off. Like, that's a risky proposition because young players are generally inconsistent for a while. It takes a while for them to figure out what they're doing. And a lot of these guys have come through. Mitchell Robinson has been phenomenal force for them in the paint. I mean, he, was, he took on Mobley and Jared on his own. Uh, Jared Allen, excuse me, in, in the first round on his own. And that was a, a very impressive uh, performance in that sense. And I think they've it's really kind of pushed them forward. I think it's exciting. And when the Knicks are good, man, it's so good in the NBA. It's so much more fun when they're good. The fans are completely insane, and I love every bit of it. Oh, it's been, I, I think they're the most enjoyable games to watch so far has been the games at Madison Square Garden and just the, the crowd rides the highs and the lows of that game where you feel like you are part of it as well with how up they get. and But you equally feel as low when they miss a shot that they're anticipating and not down. I mean, just, just imagine as you guys have been in bigger environments, I mean, been in big environments when you've played as players. When you get to win on the road in those kinds of places, the feeling it is to just be like, to just shut the crowd up is the best fucking feeling. I mean, incredible. You know, like I was with the Clippers when we beat Memphis in game seven in Memphis. It was a fucking party. Like it was amazing. The place was rocking when we got there and it was dead silent afterwards. And I'm like, you guys hear that? Not a, goddamn thing like it's fucking great you know you just love that feeling and it's 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 fun as a road team it's super fun as the home team when the crowd's rolling and everybody's going ape shit and and, and there's no place i think no arena better to have that vibe and stuff like that than than the garden and a segue to that is there's no better person to do it in madison square garden than jimmy butler now i will yes. preface by saying i picked Miami to beat Milwaukee. I picked Miami before they lost to Atlanta to, to come out of the East and to win it. I've been huge on the Miami Heat. And yes, I listen to Bill Simmons way too much and the Miami zombie heat. That's <laughs> where I've come from. His performance versus Milwaukee, A, incredible. But even if you look at game two where they just go down swinging, for Coach Spo to be able to get his guys to play at a level where they don't care who's in or who's out, but they're just competitive night in, night out, you've got to love what Miami's doing so far. I love every bit of it. I think Spolster is the best coach we have in the NBA right now, and I don't even think the second place is even close. You know, I think the way the, the things he does, you know, with what they get development-wise from guys and how they improve guys and kind of build them up. Now, granted, sometimes it backfires. We're all looking at Duncan Robinson, but there's, but it, that's going to happen. But he's played a role. He's still, had, he's, still, he's still had his moments. He's, they, they've found a role. He's found a role now and, and, and all that stuff. But Max Drews out of nowhere. Gabe Vincent's playing out of his mind at this point. How long will it last? I don't know. But they're getting a lot of stuff out of us, And we forget to the point that they don't even have Tyler Hero, who was an extremely important piece for them in terms of just – Hey, 
another guy that can score for this team and create very limited on this roster in that sense. And it's very impressive the stuff Spodes does. And I love everything he does out of a timeout. Anytime that Spo calls a timeout and they have the ball, I'm paying attention because he's running something interesting. He ran a beautiful lob play for Bam Adebayo last game with basically like almost a reverse post split action with Lowry in the post and Duncan Robinson setting the screen, which we know nobody's going to try to hedge off of him because he's just going to pop out for a three and Bam gets a wide open dunk. And it's just like, I look at it, it this dude's a freaking evil genius, you know? And I think he just draws up a lot of amazing stuff he gets the most out of his guys. The one thing I find criminal in the NBA is that dude still hasn't won a Coach of the Year award. We've given it to a lot worse coaches. I mean, at this point, we almost just have to give him one or just name it after him. Don't worry. If we go off the Embiid theory, then he'll get it next year for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, Spo never will cry about it. That's the difference. Embiid went crying right. about it last year. <laughs> Called out your boy did, Bill did, Simmons. <laughs> Did, 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 did you happen to see his tweet, a conversational Eurostep? His tweet when he won it was that he talked it into existence. Wouldn't you rather earn it? I don't, I, you know what? It's like, almost like he admitted that it wasn't deserved. Yeah. I talked it into existence. No, I think it's more just like, it, Come on. It, it's more something, because it's something from like 2014, right? Like I predicted this or all that stuff. Trust me, I try to talk a lot of things into existence, Chris. <laughs> None of it has materialized yet, but I'm still talking. We'll see what happens. And, and, and I won't question whether I earn it or not if it comes my way. Well, I'll tell you what, they, uh, his 76 has beat Boston in game one he, without him. He came back to game two. Boston killed them. Um, I've got no idea what in the world to expect came the game in that series. Yeah, it's a tough one. First off, I think we're talking about just environments. That arena is going to be rocking. When I mean, Joel Embiid's going to be given the trophy on the court, and the, you know the crowd's going to go nuts. He he is really vibed with the city. They he bought into the city. They've bought into him, and there's a great sort of chemistry just there. So I think that place is going to be insane to begin with, in terms of the environment. I think in the long run, I, the Celtics are just a better team. As long as they don't do stupid shit, which they do a lot of stupid shit, it, it, it's they should be fine and win this series. I mean, they blew them out in game two. They shot the shit out of the ball, but they were getting good shots out of it. They were finding good rhythm and good flow out of it. I think, you know, it, it depends on the looks that they're getting and how they're getting those threes. Because they're going to shoot a lot of threes, but if a lot of it's like one-on-one, type of stuff and we're going to jack up shots it's not good threes if it's out of the offense and the flow and the kickouts driving kicks and things like that and and you know attacking double teams and whatnot i think they're gonna they're gonna look pretty good but it's gonna be interesting because i think joel Embiid's going to have a monster game for game three they, they seem like they made the conscious choice to come up full court against james harden james harden if anything he's not quick joel Embiid's the same it just looks like they're leaning in to exploiting their lack of speed you're right. As much as I have no idea, and Joel Embiid could go for 50 and 20 next game and have a win, yeah, surely Boston have got a little bit too much on the defensive end and a little bit too much uh, foot speed, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I think the, the more interesting thing, I think, would be all right, let's just have Maxi bring up the ball. You know, and, and exactly, you know, like, all right, let's just let and then let's let James let's work to it so that James gets to operate off the second side and things like that or, or, or play in that environment a little bit. So we'll see how it plays out, because I know James doesn't want to have to deal with the dude 
94 feet. I mean, let's just be honest. He does look a little chubby right now, and I don't want to, like, fast shame him. It was like, damn, like, he had a week and a half off, and it it's like, wow, that's a real um, – Yeah, I was like, that's a, yeah, like get him a bigger jersey size, guys, please. Um, we're, we're Australian, so you know that we like to have a bit of a hunt and a bit of a gamble from time to time, Mo. Uh, I was shocking. I was listening uh, to your athletic podcast after the game just quickly, and you said if you were a betting man, you would get on Philly to win the first quarter because the place will be rocking and all that uh, because of the Embiid MVP because they're playing against the Celtics at home. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, I just think sometimes just adrenaline and the vibe, and I, I it won't shock me if Boston kind of a little shell shock. A little bit in that sense you know this is one of those things it's a rare it's rare uh you know when how often how many teams get to see their guy win the mvp and you know chris you're talking about speaking into existence the whole philly fan base has been speaking it into existence for three years and it's finally here now they better not be quiet they better not be sitting on their hands when this happens they need to erupt for their team and all that. And I think, you know, you guys have been through those environments. You tell me, like, does when your home crowd's rolling with you guys and rocking and, and going apeshit, play a little bit harder, right? Or a little bit faster, have a little more adrenaline to it and things like that. I know it's the playoffs and everybody's going to play hard and go nuts, but I could see it sort of being a situation that kind of get everybody a little bit more amped. And I think Embiid's going to come out extremely hard and extremely aggressive. I think Chris asked the question not too long ago. If you were to start a franchise, who would you start with, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Uh, we both chose Brown uh, over Tatum. How do you see that dynamic that they currently have? Yeah, so I'll I'll go the other way and go Tatum. And I think you, the, I understand the Brown would. side. You would. Yeah, I'd like to fucking win. <laughs> Deal with it. The, <laughs> um, no, the. The, the, I understand the Brown side of it, but I'll tell you something about Brown. He can't dribble. Like, we've seen it. Like, his turnover rates when he's trying to dribble, go back to the finals against the, the Warriors. His turnovers were brutal. And I think with Tatum annoys me with some of his shot selections, and sometimes he settles and whatnot and things like that. But I've seen a progression from him on both ends of the court that I've been really impressed with. And Brown's an awesome player. But I look at him more like a, a very good number two. I think Tatum can be your number one. I mean, they damn near won a championship with him being the number one option. I just think he ran out of gas in that series against Boston, uh, against the Warriors last year. And, you know, credit the Warriors. They had a good game plan to kind of wear him out a bit. Um, but I would just go with him in the sense of I think he can do just about everything. He needs to tap in and learn a little more on the playmaking and needs to learn the, the IQ side of it of what shot to take, when to take it and when to be aggressive and when to defer. And those are things that, you know, I think will come with age. We've spoken about Milwaukee's head coaching position. If you were a head coach in waiting, would you rather take Milwaukee or would you take the gamble and go to Detroit and hope that you get Wemby and see if you can bring that back from obscurity? I'm going with Giannis, dude. First off, both of those cities yep. are cold ass cities and I'm an LA boy. I ain't trying to be in any of those cold cities, but if I had to choose, I'm going with Giannis. I have a sure thing already. A guy that's won a championship, won two MVPs. He's a guy that we look at going like, this is a guy that can, I mean, going to probably have a run at another MVP at some point. This is a guy that's a great leader. I love, I love him as a, a guy that works his ass off. 
Wemba Miyama is awesome. And I get to do some of these games on the NBA app where I get to kind of broadcast some of his games and whatnot. And, and I enjoy watching him. Still a little bit of an unknown, you know, in terms of what he's going to do in the NBA. And, you know, I, I think he's going to translate well, but it's going to take a little bit of time. As a coach, I get to come in and coach Giannis right away, who looks like a coach's dream. It's a no-brainer for me. Like, I, I you know, I – Detroit's going to be fun if they get Webemyama. I like Cade Cunningham. I like Jaden Ivey. I like Jalen Duran. They're going to have to figure out some things if they get Webemyama in terms of moving that roster around a little bit to make it fit. But, I mean, if it's between those two, I'm taking Giannis, and I'm going to be uh, enjoying myself a championship at some point. Now, obviously, being an American and us being non-Americans, we saw when Luca went into the draft that he slipped down because they were saying there's no way that this kid – could be better than what is happening in college at the moment, which I think... I hope you're not possibly suggesting that Scoot Henderson's going I'm, number one. No, no, no. no. I'm just be. saying that maybe, <laughs> maybe the perception <laughs> of Webham Yarn, yes, we know that he's going to be a franchise-altering player, but I think Chris and I had spoken about this before. We knew Luca was going to be really, really good in the NBA, but it seemed like NBA executives did not know that he was going to be really, really good in the NBA. Do you think that there is a narrative where Americans want to believe that there's not a chance that someone that's been playing overseas could be as good as someone that has been playing in their own backyard? I think they learned from the Luka Doncic mistake. And it's a massive mistake. I actually was with you guys because I was watching Luka Doncic's tape that season when I was preparing for the draft. I'm like, this is a no-brainer pick. This guy has to go number one. I was going ballistic when Phoenix went with DeAndre Ayton. And you know, still a dumbass pick. Like, I just look at it now and it's like, it was a no-brainer. You can just tell. And I think it also comes from an understanding of, listen, I'm on Twitter a lot, so I have to fight with some idiots sometimes. And a lot of those dudes don't understand how good European basketball actually is. And a lot of them were like, he's not going to be athletic enough. I'm like, man, it ain't going to matter. He's going to come in and dominate right away. And he did. And I think it's a no-brainer there. And I think the teams that did pass up on him, I think they've learned their lesson. You know, it's uh, And it, to go back to the further back, Mark Cuban learned his lesson because he passed on Giannis. And he regrets it to this day. He talks about it. And that's why they made the trade they made to move up to get Luka. Because he was like, I'm not passing on him again. If I have an opportunity to get that dude, I'm going to go get him. And I think with Webb and Yama, everybody's kind of learned the lesson there to a degree. And, I, you know, Scoot's not going to go number one. Um, and I think the thing that helps Webb and Yama also was he played, in the, he played against Scoot here in Las Vegas for two games. And he absolutely killed. Everybody was going completely nuts in the States for him, you know, and I think now it's, it's more of an understanding of, of that and seeing Luca's success. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a, a mistake like that again. If, I mean, Luca should have been a clear number one, then Wemby's going to be a clear number one this year. Where does the rest of the playoffs take you, Mo? What, 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 are you, what is your final predictions of what's going to happen and how this is all going to shake out? Well, seeing that I started the season with a uh, Milwaukee Clippers uh, finals. I'm on a roll, guys. Everybody roll with me and ride with me. Um, Pay attention. <laughs> yeah, everybody listen up real carefully. Um, I'm actually I can't believe I'm going to say this one, but I think Miami, I just I'm, I'm riding the Miami trade with Spo and Jimmy. Jimmy's just a psycho. I think Boston's going to beat 
Philly, but I don't think Boston's tough enough when it comes to playing Miami. And Miami just barely lost to them last year. They're not as good of a team as they were last season, but I think they're tougher, and I think that's going to scare Boston a bit. In the West, I I just Boston, or excuse me, Denver looks like the best team throughout the entire playoffs. Sometimes I look at going like, well, they got to play Minnesota for five games. Like everybody looks good against Minnesota, um, but they're destroying a Phoenix team that's really depleted. I think it's going to be Phoenix, but I keep an eye. Uh, excuse me, I think it's going to be Denver, but just keep an eye on Golden State because. I don't know if they can guard Curry, and I think he can take advantage of Jokic defensively. So for, if I'm a Denver fan, I'm probably rooting for the Lakers. But I think I, I, if I go on a run here, I'll go Denver-Miami and just go completely off the wall. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a Denver-Miami. Chris, where, where are you at as it stands? I've liked Denver. I think they've been the clear standout. They just – what I've landed back on is that through Jokic, they create so many great looks that other teams don't get when their stuff does break down. Jamal Murray's the Jamal Murray from the bubble. Yeah. So I think they've got both bases covered. I like them coming out of the West against anyone. Oh, uh, uh, the East is such a tricky one. I, it's shitty because the East was the I, easy one. The East was supposed to be the easy conference for us. Right, it was either Milwaukee right. or Boston, and now it's all thrown into a I, loop. I, 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 I have no idea. I, I'll go Boston. Only, only because I think their depth and their ability to defend wings, their, their ability to defend the perimeter might get them across. I think they can do a decent job on Jimmy Butler yeah. of all the teams that can do so. But I have absolutely no confidence. If I had to tip an NBA champion, I'd be tipping Denver. I would say that I would take Coach Spo over Coach Missoula in the coaching stakes every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Um uh, that's about. That's not fair. That's not fair though, because that's like picking Jordan, like in the coaching rings versus a rookie. That's not fair. It is what it is. It's an even playing ground, and uh, Joe Mazzulla sucks. Um, so uh, it is what it is. Mo, tell the people where they can watch your stuff. You're you're quite active on Twitter. You're on Twitch. Tell people how they can reach you. Yeah, the easiest thing, folks, is just find me on Twitter, uh, modedakil underscore NBA, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. And from there, you'll find all my work. I do videos. I have a video called One Mo Thing series. I put YouTube videos out. I'm on Twitch. I'm doing watch-alongs for games on playback. I'm, I'm doing a lot of just just follow me on Twitter. You'll figure it out. You're about and, to get a and, bunch uh, of this and we appreciate that you've given us a bit of time this afternoon talking. Are we, are we the first people not from America to to get your services? Oh, I'm worldwide, baby. No, I'm all over the place. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've gotten I've done Italian podcasts. I've done. Uh, 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 the right answer was yes, Emma. Uh, so now we've got to... Oh, wait, hold on. Let's, miss, let's, let's, miss, let's cut it out again. Okay. Mr. Mo Wild. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. But I'll tell you what, though. The more important thing is I've been very excited to be on this podcast more than anybody else's. Since Wordo asked me, I said, I get to talk to my, my boomers. I'm in. Let's go. There we go. Yeah. I don't know how good your we Italian is, it. but we appreciate your Australian slang and, <laughs> and, and what you know. Mo, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. We're really grateful, and uh, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you guys for having me. 